This is the political beatdown with Ben Micellis and Michael Cohen. Welcome to the show. Here's what we're going to discuss on today's live political beatdown. Mark Pomerantz, the former senior prosecutor on the Manhattan District Attorney team that was criminally investigating Donald Trump, has released a new book saying that, in his view, and the view of all the other prosecutors he was talking to there, other than Alvin Bragg, the evidence to criminally prosecute Donald Trump at that time was very, very solid. And Michael Cohen, you get a mention in that book, a prominent mention in the book. <laughs> and more, more, than one, more than one mention there, my friend. Uh, in fact, about 30%, 30% of that book is probably written about me. I want to get Cohen's reaction to the book all of the references to Cohen. And we also got to talk about Cohen. I saw that Rachel Maddow tech, uh, takedown recently of the former United States attorney under the Trump administration, Jeffrey Berman. I want to get your take on that as well and how all of this is connected. We're also going to talk about on this episode how Donald Trump and Alina Haba have posted a $1 million bond and filed a notice of appeal to the $1 million sanctions order that was issued against them by a federal judge in the Southern District of Florida for a frivolous lawsuit they filed back in March of 2022. I also want to talk about how very quietly when it comes to at least what was being reported by the large media networks, not here on the Midas Touch Network. But Donald Trump lost another big defamation lawsuit. A federal judge in Washington, D.C. dismissed Trump's 2020 defamation lawsuit against the Washington Post related to two articles that talked about Trump's connections with Russia. But what I really want to get from Michael Cohen is an inside look when he was there with Trump. What was the strategy behind filing? these frivolous lawsuits, and what was the overall goal in doing that? We'll talk about that with Michael Cohen. We have also now learned that during the Trump administration, on at least three separate occasions, uh, Chinese spy balloons entered the continental United States and were either covered up or went undetected by Donald Trump and his administration. After all, Donald Trump is the traitor who said that the American troops are suckers and losers. And Trump is the moron who said he's like just so like smart that he like doesn't need to read security briefings. And then tonight, President Biden will deliver the State of the Union address. It will be live here on the Midas Touch Network. Pre-coverage begins at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, and the State of the Union will officially start at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific. This is the political beatdown. Cohen, how are you doing, sir? Uh, you know, I'm hanging in there. Every day seems to be filled with more excitement, more nonsense, more Trumpism, Trump bullshit. And um, I do truly believe that that's going to actually stop soon. I think that there's a lot of things that are going on right now that are going to put a, a it's going to put an end uh, to this guy's reign of terror over American democracy. Well, starting with hope and optimism on the political beatdown is something I think our audience appreciates. But um when you come with that hope and optimism, what uh, what specifically comes to mind right now that gives you that hope and optimism? Well, something I'm going to share with the Midas Mighty, with the political beatdown family. 
I am scheduled to come in tomorrow for my 15th appearance with the district attorney. Now, I know this is going to make all sorts of news, and I'm sure my phone's going to start blowing up in any second now. Um, so many people have already heard about it. You know, it's the funny thing, when, especially when it comes to whether it's the district attorney, the AG's office, the Southern District of New York, they all have people inside that office that leak information out. And so I feel it's fair that our political beatdown family should know it as well. Tomorrow, I am going in to meet with the DA's team again for the 15th time. And I really do believe, despite all the hoopla, and it's a, it's a very good book. I've read part of it already, Mark Pomerantz's book. I do believe that Alvin Bragg is serious. I believe that whatever occurred in the past is the past. And I think he legitimately believes that there is a case to be made against Donald Trump. Now, of course, we'll see. Um, I'll let everybody know on our next live event how things went. Uh, obviously, I'm just speculating at this moment. But once again, it's now the 15th time that I'm heading in to discuss this and several matters with the DA's team uh, tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to it, to be very honest with you. And I know that you can't get into the specifics of what's being discussed, but you had told us on a prior occasion, though, that you were very impressed with Alvin Bragg's team. And you had a great deal of skepticism after Pomerantz and Kerry Dunn had left the office. I would say skepticism would probably be putting it very, very, very lightly. But when you met with this new team, they gave you a great degree of confidence. And I think you even said the same amount of confidence as the Pomerantz Dunn team in terms of holding Trump accountable. Is that true? Yeah. So like I said, uh, on many different, not just here, uh, on our first episode, which by the way, thanks to all of you, just blew it out of the water. I believe we're at number 18 on uh, all news podcasts out there. Thanks to each and every one of you. And so I do give the uh, political beatdown family a serious thank you on that one. At the end of the day, here's the deal. What we're going to see is a really qualified team of prosecutors going through all of the documents, not just the old documents that um, were left over from the Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn days, but I believe that there's new information that they've been able to acquire. Remember that the DA's office is working in tandem with the Attorney General's office. It is the first time that I could ever say that two different offices are working so closely together in tandem for a single purpose. And I do believe that that purpose will, I believe it will occur. I really do. And, you know, one of the things to mention as well, um, get right into it, where you are referenced in the Mark Pomerantz book. And, you know, one of the questions that Bill Whitaker of CBS asked Pomerantz in an interview related to the book was about you. And they said, well, Cohen, you know, was guilty of this and that. And so can you trust Cohen as a witness? And I think Pomerantz basically said, yes, I can, because he showed us what the documents were. I mean, you know, also you were maliciously prosecuted and should never have been prosecuted in the first place. Pomerantz doesn't go there yet, which I think everyone needs to recognize and realize that that is the fact in a highly and an actually weaponized DOJ 
by Trump to go after you. But let's play this clip from the CBS interview of Bill Whitaker to Mark Pomerantz about his new book, Where You Are Referenced. Here, let's play this clip and get your reaction to it. But you've told us, I mean, and he admitted, Cohen's a convicted perjurer. That's right. So how, how far can his testimony go? And that's why it was so important for us to go to the accounting documents. How do you know he's telling the truth? You know it because you see it in the documents. He's talking about Donald Trump's accounting documents used to calculate the value of the former president's real estate, some of which Mark Pomerantz shared with us. He released them after they were made public in Letitia James's lawsuit. Attorney Pomerantz said he did not share grand jury material with us. He said it went on for years. What, what, was, the, what was the pattern? And the tactics varied from property to property to property. Um, what they had in common was that they were dishonest. Cohen, your reaction? <laughs> yeah, my reaction is, I truly don't believe that Whitaker uh, read Pomerantz's book. I think he probably <laughs> gave, it's, it's, it's truly, it's not the 60 minutes of before. I, I'm not a big fan of his, I think he's a buffoon. I think he probably should have done a much better job in terms of reading the book, um, basically annotating it the way that Rachel Maddow does, whereby she knows everything as well as the writer does. He's throwing out all sorts of things. Let me be very clear about something and how I believe that he's completely inaccurate. First of all, I was not convicted of perjury. Let me be very clear. He doesn't even have the right charge. I pled guilty, wasn't convicted. I pled guilty right, to what's called a 1001 violation. And specifically, the 1001 violation states making any materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent statement or representation to law enforcement or to a congressional body. And that's what I did. Now, one of the other things that I have talked about ad nauseum is the fact that that statement that I had made to, um, the con to Congress, my very first time uh, appearing before them, was done with the assistance of Ivanka and Jared and Jay Sekulow and Abby Lowell and Ty Cobb and a handful of other people. And the goal was to stay on message, stay on Donald Trump's message, which is make anything that has to do with Moscow, with uh, Trump, make it de minimis. And so instead, and I hope you all remember, because it's written in my book, Revenge, and I do implore everyone to read it so that you understand as things move forward, where I'm coming from onto it. But one of the things I talk about in revenge is the fact that what, what happened with this specific case is I'm the only one that got charged while all of these other people were in there assisting me in making this materially false statement. It is not perjury. And in fact, it was, it's really not even a relevant charge. If you think about it, what was the lie? The lie was the number of times that I spoke to Donald about the failed Trump Tower Moscow real estate project. In my statement to Congress, I stated three times. The legitimate and the true answer is I spoke to him 10 times. Now, let's talk about things that are materially false. Let's take a look at the last three or four of the Supreme Court judges who made 
um, materially false statements, especially I'm talking about on the Republican side, where they stated that they would respect stare decisis. Let's talk about George Santos, who lies like Donald about everything. Let's talk about Bill Barr. Let's talk about Jeffrey Berman. Let's talk about all of them. And those are material. Those are material statements that have real serious implication and consequences. The fact that I stated three versus 10, you know, when you are up against the government and they are pressuring you and they pressure you by going after your family. And again, as I stated the last time, I I love my, I love my wife and there was no chance in the world that I was going to allow these animals to do to her what I knew that they were going to do. And that was going to indict her, march her out of the apartment with me, with handcuffs. That was never going to happen. And so as Judge Jed Rakoff of the Southern District of New York, the same building that prosecuted me, of course, different judge. I wish I had Judge Rakoff. Take a look at his book, Why the Innocent Plead Guilty and the Guilty Go Free. All right. Let's even talk for a split second about Alvin Bragg, where Alvin Bragg made a statement to um, the voters here in New York that he is going to hold those who are rich and powerful accountable, no different than anyone else. Well, yes, now he's doing it. But the entire Pomerantz book is predicated around the fact that he did not, that he elected to step away from the case for whatever the reason may be. Maybe it was because they were afraid that I would do exactly what I do on this show, exactly what I do on my pot, my other podcast, Mea Culpa, or what I do on television or with the press, where I turn around and I speak raw, unfiltered truth to power because I don't give a shit. And I will say things on a stand that will shock, that will shock people. But I don't care because you know why? It's truth. And the funny thing is, if you, if you, Go back to when I first came out and stated to the House Oversight Committee all of the things that are now currently pending against Donald Trump, whether it's the inflation and deflation of his assets, whether it's the uh, hush money payment, whether it's the racism, sexism, misogyny, xenophobia, homophobia, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, whatever it was that I said, I ask each and every one of you, to think for a split second and start Googling it. Tell me where I made a misstatement. Tell me where there is a lie. In fact, Mueller stated that everything I told them, and that was 100 hours, everything I told them was truthful, accurate, and assistive with their investigation. You know who else said the same thing? Seven or eight different congressional committees. I've never been charged with any issue about a misrepresentation, unlike for example, Eric, Don, Ivanka, uh, Jared, this one, Donald, all of them, they all lied under oath. I did not. Then we could turn around and say, we saw it last week when you guys played that clip. Letitia James credited me for the New York Attorney General case currently pending against Trump. And so did Pomerantz and Dunn believe that everything that I told them was truthful because not only were they taking my word for it, like I did during the House Oversight Committee hearing, I backed every single thing up with documentary evidence. End of story. And that's what we do here on the Midas Touch Network, you know, and that's what the difference between a Rachel Maddow interview and mostly every other host on a large media networks and what we do here on the Midas Touch Network versus the host. Here, I want to show you this clip 
from the Maddow show as well, where she talks about Jeffrey Berman. Um, and I want to get your reaction uh, to it as well here. Let's play this clip from Maddow referencing Jeffrey Berman's book and how Berman admits that his prosecutorial ethics were compromised by the fact that uh, main justice, meaning Bill Barr, told him who he should go after in terms of actually weaponizing the Department of Justice. Remember, everything Donald Trump says is projection. Currently, right now with Merrick Garland, you could criticize Garland for a lot of things for being slow, for but it's not weaponized, okay? It was weaponized under Trump. Here, play this clip. Jeffrey Berman was the U.S. attorney in SDNY, the federal prosecutor's office in Manhattan, while all this was happening. And Jeffrey Berman technically was recused from directly overseeing this case, um, the, the hush money case, because he had been part of the Trump campaign before he was appointed U.S. attorney. And he thought that might have seemed like a conflict of interest, given that the case involved fraud allegations about campaign expend expenditures, so he was technically recused from overseeing the case, but he was in charge of the U.S. Attorney's Office when this case went to court. And in his book, in this book, Holding the Line, that Jeffrey Berman published about his time as U.S. Attorney in SDNY, he explains in detail that Maine Justice under Trump reached into SDNY and intervened with the prosecutor's office in Manhattan to protect Trump in this case. He says it explicitly. This is from page 24 of Jeff Berman's book. Quote, the first time Maine justice intervened, sorry, uh, even though I was not overseeing the Cohen case, I still had to deal with other issues involving it, all of them deriving from the same source, Maine justice and its attempts at interference. The first time Maine justice interfered was when the information was being finalized. Information is a term of art in this context. After Michael Cohen agreed to plead guilty, the charging instrument against him uh, became an information rather than indictment. So that was the title of the document that Berman is referencing here. It was an information. It was about 40 pages long, he says. And it, quote, referenced a person identified as individual one as having acted in concert with Michael Cohen. He says, quote, there was zero doubt as to the identity of individual one. It was Donald J. Trump. Berman says, quote, consistent with DOJ guidelines, we first submitted the information to the public integrity section at Maine Justice. They signed off. We then sent a copy to the deputy attorney general at the time, Rod Rosenstein informing him that Cohen's guilty plea was imminent. The next day, the prosecutor in my office who was overseeing the case received a call from Rosenstein's principal deputy. He was aggressive. Why the length, he wanted to know. He argued that now that Cohen is pleading guilty, we don't need all this description of the crime. The prosecutor responded, what exactly are you concerned about? Rosen's deputy, Rosenstein's de deputy proceeded to identify specific allegations that he wanted removed from the information. Almost all of them were items referencing individual one, Donald J. Trump. Cohen, your reaction? Yeah, so my reaction is when I read those portions of Jeffrey Berman's book, which I would suggest you don't buy because it's bullshit like he is, I decided that I think a little payback is probably, it's, it's probably justified. And so I filed a New York grievance, a bar grievance complaint against Jeffrey Berman because my belief is that what he did, it's not only unethical, it's possibly illegal as well. And so I filed this complaint and in the complaint, I did, of course, like everybody, an attachment as to 
why I was filing the complaint. And I want to share this with, with, um, with the group here. By his own admission, Jeffrey Berman, who served as the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York from 2018 to 2020, was contacted by partisan Justice Department officials who made overtly political demands and that the pressure was clearly inspired by the president's openly professed wants. This included my criminal case. Now, in his book, Berman writes, and I quote, Trump's Justice Department kept demanding that I use my office to aid them politically, and I kept declining, dot, 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 in ways just tactful enough to keep me from being fired. Now, Mr. Berman, despite his self-aggrandizing refusal to capitulate to the pressure campaign, failed and failed miserably to uphold his ethical and legal obligation to report the occurrences. By failing to do so, Mr. Berman deprived me of valuable information that could have been used in my defense. So the question of why he kept this information to himself and a few insiders is obvious and again, answered by Mr. Berman's own words, and I quote, to keep me from being fired. Now that, of course, is until the new administration was elected, his position terminated, and affording him the opportunity in September of 2022, four years later, to reveal the information in a for-profit book. That is unethical by any stretch of the imagination. And so, interestingly enough, I am using Rachel Maddow's clip and the transcript from it in order to explain to the New York um, Bar Association the, ex the exact reason why Jeffrey Berman should be reprimanded, disbarred, or whatever else that they choose to do. But his actions should have consequences. And again, it's one of the things we constantly talk about on this show, and we talk about on our other various shows. Everybody needs to be held accountable for their own actions, for their dirty deeds. Something I've been saying, especially about Donald since day number one. The second that you let this power elite, the rich, um, off the hook, Lady Justice no longer has blindfolds on, and that is a big problem for the rest of us. And that's why one of the things that I constantly say, you gotta share this podcast and others on Midas Touch, Mea Culpa, et cetera. You have to share it with your friends. What we need to do is to continue every single day to grow this community so that our voice cannot be ignored, that come 2024, that we will be a major force to reckon with, not just against the Republicans, but for the Democrats. It is so vital because if we don't do this, things like the, the end of Roe versus Wade, the things like Jeffrey Berman using his office for his own self-interest, the same thing with Bill Barr, the same thing with John Eastman, the same thing with Rudy Colludi, Drunken Giuliani, the same thing with all of them. They all need to be held accountable. Otherwise, our democracy is not just in peril. Our democracy will be lost. You know, we've seen Donald Trump recently, though, be held accountable by certain federal judges, at least, who are saying, 
look, finally, finally, Cohen, they're saying enough. And you have, for example, the federal judge Donald Middlebrooks in the Southern District of Florida back on January 19th, who sanctioned Donald Trump approximately $1 million, as well as Alina Haba uh, for filing this frivolous lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and basically half of Washington, D.C., based on these like completely deranged conspiracy theories. The judge explained that this was less of a lawsuit and more of just like a lunatic airing his political grievances that, you know, a copy and paste of his social media posts versus any legitimate, credible lawsuit. Donald Trump, it was just announced along with the Lena Haba collectively posted a $1 million bond um, to stay or temporarily delay the enforcement of having to pay the sanctions, they are filing a notice of appeal with the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which oversees the Southern District of Florida, um, has not been making very favorable rulings to Donald Trump recently. They famously ordered the return of the uh, immediately return of the classified records to the Department of Justice after Judge Eileen Cannon, uh, the corrupt Judge Eileen Cannon, did all of Donald Trump's dirty dealings in that district court proceeding um, after a lawful search warrant was executed. And then the 11th Circuit overruled Judge Eileen Cannon's corrupt injunction order and the appointment of the uh, special master. Um, But you were there from the inside. I'll talk about this defamation lawsuit in a moment that Donald Trump lost, and it's not really being reported. And I I assume that's part of the strategy, because I think what Trump realized, and I never asked you this before, so this is the first time I'm asking you, this is what we talk about a lot, though, on the network. What he realizes, though, is that the large media networks, by the way, including the ones that he ultimately sues, the sexy headline is that he filed this lawsuit which he then uses to fundraise. But then the large media networks don't really report on the loss. So it's barely a footnote. So walk us through the strategy because you were there when that strategy was being deployed. Is that what was going on? So Donald is very myopic. He's a myopic thinker. And what he believes is that if a case is scheduled as the case with the attorney general for October, I think it's October 2nd or 3rd of this year, for Donald, that's an eternity away. He doesn't see things the way the rest of us do, where you're like, oh my gosh, in another eight months, I'm going to be on trial that the attorney general is going to slam me to the ground, right? And base the base amount she's going to accept, the base amount and I believe it'll be much more, is $250 million. I think the amount is going to come out to somewhere in the ballpark of about $700 million. So Donald's theory or Donald's belief system is that he will delay, delay, delay anything that he can because what does delay do? All right, it, Especially when you are as sociopathic as Donald is, what it does is it takes out of your mind the fact that this case is even there, that's okay. You know, I'll deal with that when it comes, when I have to deal with it, which is what he does all the time. So the goal for him, again, is to delay, 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 and hope that he gets a positive outcome. Now, many of the cases that Donald has filed has been, have been frivolous. And so at the end of the day, it's not, it's not unusual that the judge would then 
sanction both him and Hababa Baba uh, on this, who is one of the worst lawyers you could ever, ever imagine. She's actually comical in terms of watching in a room. You know, she she thinks she's fantastic when really she's just a she's a horrible, horrible lawyer. But putting all that aside, and, she- and, and, and Cohen, I just want to I want to interrupt you there. It's what makes her more dangerous, I think, than the one that got farted on by Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, um, because Jenna Ellis doesn't really pretend to even be all that smart, right? Like Jenna Ellis, just every Haba has this way of projecting that she knows what she's talking about, but says the wrong thing all the time and does the exact opposite we are supposed to do every and single And fights time. with the judges and fights with counsel and she makes up her own sort of rules and regs. In one of the cases that I'm involved where I'm suing Trump, she actually filed a motion. This is great. She filed a motion and she signed it as if she was the judge. It's one of the funniest things that you could that you could imagine. It is so basic. It was, I think it was maybe even a subpoena, but she signed it as if she was the judge, as also counsel for the plaintiff. I mean, the whole thing was absolutely breathtaking to watch and to laugh about. But going back, you know, I just want to touch on one more thing in terms of the complaint, because one of the things that I intend to do, I intend to hold all of these people accountable, because by doing that, I believe that we can restore the 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 sanctity of the Department of Justice. You know, there are many prosecutors who are good people. There are many judges who are good people. But you know, if you ever saw that movie, I think it was called like Stand um, and Stand By Me, where you had Crazy Joe, the uh, the principal from the school in the Bronx, and he turned around and he says, you know, what if you have one bad apple, but instead you have five bad apples, fucking rotten to the core. This is what happens. You have people like Barr and Trump. You had people like the judge in my case, William H. Pauley III. You had Jeffrey Berman, Kazami. You had all of these prosecutors that use my name in the very first paragraph of their bios. Now they're over it like, um, you know, Davis Polk, Lowenstein, Sandler, McDermott, Will and Emery. They're at Guggenheim Partners. They're all making seven-figure salaries, right, using this bullshit case that was against me. The only reason I pled guilty. Remember, folks, I got the I got the notification on a Friday for the very first time, the very first time. And again, I talk about this at length in revenge, which is why I'm hoping that you buy the book so that you understand where I'm coming from on this. What happened was they called they spoke with my lawyer on a Thursday and told him that they that he has until tomorrow, Friday, in order to meet with them, but I wasn't allowed to be at that meeting, which is unusual in and of itself. Okay. My lawyer says to me, well, at least we're getting a chance to finally speak to them after four and a half months. Friday at 5.30 p.m., we get the phone call, turns around and says, if you don't come in on Monday and plead guilty to charges that they're going to tell you about tomorrow when you see me at 8 a.m. in the morning at my office, they're going to file an 80-page indictment that's going to include um, that's going to include your wife. And again, you know that that that's my Achilles' heel. There was no way that I was going to knowing that I am guilty. I am guilty of the campaign finance violation for Stormy Daniels. Not only did they charge me with the Stormy Daniels, which was accurate, but they charged me with Karen McDougal as well. Which, if you Google it, you will see that David Pecker, AMI, and the National Enquirer 
that they're the ones that paid the 150000 I just looked at the contract in order to ensure that Donald was protected in the event that David Pekareva left the National Enquirer and went to Time, Inc., where he was supposed to, or they were looking at him for the next editor-in-chief. These are the problems. This is what happens when you have a corrupt president with a willing and complicit attorney general. They can take your rights and they can destroy it. And so again, I want Jeffrey Berman and I want others, including whether it's any of these other lawyers, Kazami or whoever it might be, I want them to be held accountable for their actions, which they should. And so I just want to just read this one additional paragraph to you, because I think you'll fully understand the anger and why I am as angry about this as I am. Mr. Berman's refusal to notify anyone was intentional, despite knowing and acknowledging the improper pressure being applied by Maine Justice. In fact, Mr. Berman states so in the book, and he writes, and I quote, I wanted people to understand the full scope of the outrageous and improper political interference by Trump's Justice Department in the cases of the Southern District of New York that demonstrates what Trump is capable of and what he's likely to do. Right? Mr. Berman further states, and I quote again, and it also provides a frontline view of just how vulnerable our justice system is. Now, that's finally a statement by Mr. Berman that I agree with. Our justice system is vulnerable because of people like Mr. Berman, people who are in power and use that power for their own benefit and their own advancement. That's the problem here. And folks, you know, I'm fighting this fight for all of us because when they violate my First Amendment constitutional right, my Fourth Amendment, my Eighth Amendment, I'm just the first in a long line of people that they intend to do it to. And so I will continue to fight every single day. I will continue to cooperate with law enforcement, with Congress, with whoever asks me. I'm asking them, right, to ensure that our democracy continues based upon a system whereby justice is blind to us all. That's what I'm asking for. And look, I even asked this new, this new subcommittee that Jim Jordan put together, the Weaponization Subcommittee. One of the things that we send, and I did it through my, my lawyer. I have plenty of lawyers going on now with all these various cases, but this is Jeff Levine. He's a friend of mine since we were in grade school. So he puts in a letter um, on my behalf and with me stating that we would like my case, the United States versus Michael Cohen, to be considered as one of the cases that this subcommittee is going to look at. Now, I'm... I am hoping, I'm not confident, but I am hopeful that Jim Jordan's goal is to restore the integrity of the DOJ and to uncover the weaponization, regardless of who it is, thereby ensuring that this committee is actually a bipartisan committee and not designed for the sole purpose of going after Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, uh, Dr. Fauci, or whoever else that they have an ax to grind. And why do I bring this up? Because this specific instance is identical to what I'm doing now with Berman, right? It's the same thing. If this is going to be partisan, then it is. it becomes a kangaroo court. And every single one of us, every single one of us can be on the wrong side of this, just as I was. I mean, think about it. There's 360 million Americans. Somehow, all of this bullshit ended up coming together. And I was dead center. I was right at the epicenter of this, which is unjust, 
unconstitutional and for the most part illegal. And we all together need to ensure that this bullshit stops and it stops today. You want to talk about the weaponization of the Department of Justice under Donald Trump, but talk about actually the transparency of the DOJ today. This is also where when it comes to the MAGA Republicans, you know, be careful what you ask for. I don't know if you saw this, Cohen, but of course, the MAGA Republicans said we want information in ongoing criminal investigations. And the Department of Justice said, we'll show you what we're allowed to show you, but we're the executive branch. We're not going to let you compromise our investigations. But the DOJ and the Office for the Director of National Intelligence just went to the Gang of Eight, which is made up of House leaders and Senate leaders, Democrats and Republicans, and said, we'll brief you on the classified records and the documents that we found during the search warrant executed at uh, Mar-a-Lago, as well as all of the other uh, documents we obtained in connection with that investigation. And so, you know, the next thing, once the DOJ shows, by the way, I'll, I'll say one other thing, though. In the past, when the DOJ has done that and shared information, it was imminently preceding charging decisions. I'm not saying that's what's going on here, but they've usually shared it, so they depoliticize any actual uh, criminal case being filed. Um, but you know, then the MAGA Republicans, when they when they see this, they may basically say, "Oh, it's all manipulated. It's all it's all fake news. It's all whatever." But the DOJ was like, "All right, you want you want to see this stuff? You want to see this stuff? And we'll talk about the spy balloon in a little bit." Um, but it's kind of like, okay, you know, you, you're just going to engage in your performative MAGA Republican BS. Let's tell you the facts. You know, with that spy balloon thing where you were saying Biden was weak, actually, immediately Biden put in protocols in place to address the threat and then found that there was at least three separate occasions during the Trump administration where Chinese spy balloons crossed into the continental U.S., whether it was incompetence or intentional cover-up, the Trump administration did nothing about it, whereas the Biden administration took immediate steps. And then the MAGA Republicans immediately go into, oh, it's the deep state, it's the woke Department of Defense, you know, and then they go, Democrats are trying to take away your chocolate milk. I, I, I don't. I'm not lying about that. They said that was their new one, that Democrats are trying to take away your chocolate milk. But it is, be careful what you ask for. The DOJ said that they will, and the ODNI said, we'll do a brief with these eight kind of, you know, top uh, people in the House and the Senate. And so I'm curious what you, what you think what's going to happen there. But he clearly, what we know is that, and you know this from his past, it's all with intent. It's all with malice. Like he's taking these documents not as mementos. Some may be, but by and large for the transactional purpose of of empowering him and blackmailing people. I mean, isn't that what you expect to find when when we actually learn for sure what these documents were? Well, I was actually, I think, the first one who came out and said, and I think it was on MSNBC with Nicole Wallace, when I turned around and said he took those for the sole purpose of using them as a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's one of two things. He'll either turn around and say, if you indict me, if you come after my family, if you try to hurt me, I have you know these documents in multiple places with people who are ready to drop them into the mail, and we're going to drop them in the mail to Kim Jong-un. We're going to send them to Mohammed bin Salman. We're going to send them 
to Erdogan. We're going to send them to, you know, whoever our, you know, adversaries are. Um, and so good luck to you in national security. That's, that's the way I see Donald Trump behaving with some of these documents. Now, you're right. Some of these documents are mementos. For example, his love letters with Kim Jong-un. I mean, in and of itself, it's just like a freaking weird thing for somebody to say. You have love letters from, you know, Kim Jong-un. To me, I just found the whole thing to be strange. But at the end of the day, I think he uses it as a get out of jail free card. And also, I wouldn't be shocked if he's financially benefiting from it. Um, You're right. We will ultimately, I hope one day, ultimately, we find out what those documents are. I'll be honest with you, I don't have high hopes for that only because they're top secret. And so I don't even believe that they will tell you what the overall general document was even about, which, again, one of the things that we all look for here, not just uh, on this, you know, political beatdown or uh, any of the Midas or my mea culpa anywhere. One of the things we're looking for from our, from our people, from our government, from our we'll call them uh, our media, is transparency. We want to know the truth because what happens is when you're not given the facts, when you're not given the truth, then the hypotheticals come out, the innuendos come out, the speculation comes out, and all of that just starts to run amok. And most of it isn't worth shit. They're, They're just people making stuff up. Why did they make it up? So that they can say something salacious that'll get them their their bait clicks or clickbaits or whatever you call that, or to get them more attention so that they'll have their five minutes on you know cable news or whatnot. This is not what we need. We need facts. No more alternative facts, but legitimate facts of what's going on. Now, one of the things that we try to do is not to insert our personal opinions into it. What I'm trying to do is give you facts that occurred in the past and to apply them to where we are and what's happening now. That doesn't mean necessarily that I'm going to be 100% accurate, but I do want to remind everybody that I was the first person who turned around and said that if Donald Trump loses the presidency, my biggest fear is that he will, um, that there will never be another peaceful transfer of power again. I also turned around and I said about 15 or 20 other things ranging from his inflation, deflation of the assets, et cetera, which all again turned out to be true. Why? Because I know Frankenstein. I know him because unfortunately and stupidly, I was partially responsible for building Frankenstein. And I do believe that it is my obligation. It is my obligation to ensure that we put Frankenstein back into the box. Because if not, I guarantee you that America that we know, the America that we grew up to, that we grew up with, will not be the America that our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren will see. They are already at it in order to destroy democracy, to destroy our constitutional rights. And you know, one of the things that got Ben and I to start this podcast is that we turned around and we said, there are things that we can offer to the public, to our political beatdown family. There are things that we can offer to you that you will not hear on cable news, that you will not read in the newspaper. And it's it's sad because, again, it's all about transparency. And that's the one thing that I promise you that you're going to get from Ben and I here is full transparency. 
That's one of the reasons, too, you, you talked about the flaws of large media networks and also the way they buy into these labels, uh, the way they buy into this idea that there's this is what a liberal is. This is what a conservative is. You know, when they call people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates conservative, and I say there's nothing conservative about these people. I mean, these are fascists. These are traitors. Stop calling them conservative. If you lined up my views, by and large, I will pretty much check the box of someone who is liberal and progressive in a traditional sense. But I don't like to identify as that because I think I'm more fiscally conservative than any of the MAGA Republicans. And I think that I'm, in general, more conservative in the sense that I believe in our democracy. I believe the Constitution shouldn't be terminated. I am against election denialism. I believe in free and fair elections. I believe insurrections are bad. I believe global pandemics are bad. I believe in fighting for the American worker. I believe when it comes to the debt ceiling that America needs to pay its bills, especially, you know, and frustratingly, the bills that were created by MAGA Republicans. I mean, Trump added 25% to our national debt. You want to go back to George W. Bush. You want to go back to Ronald Reagan. I mean, they were absolute disasters for our national debt and our deficit. And it's just facts. It's in the data. So they go around and say, America first, America first, fiscal conservatives, fiscal conservatives, fiscal hawks. It's like, all right, less total bullshit. You're just saying words. And if you don't scrutinize the words and you accept the narratives, you create false dichotomies, which result in, for by and large, most people in the country who are not so critically focused on the politics the way we are, and we're trying to make sure more people get educated, people believe that that's actually what the choice is. When in fact, you want to talk about jobs, you want to talk about jobs, jobs, jobs. I mean, you're talking about the January jobs report that just came out, we're talking about 517,000 new jobs that were created in January alone. We're talking about 12 million jobs that were created since Biden took office. We're talking about the lowest unemployment rate essentially in American history or definitely since 1969. I mean, we're talking about 7,000 infrastructure projects right now. Now that are underway, literally building bridges and paving roads and uh, improving our, and bringing manufacturing jobs back to the United States, right? You're talking about things like the CHIPS Act, bringing the semiconductor industry here. There'll be 20,000 infrastructure projects in the next few months taking place, which is jobs, 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 jobs. You know, and the MAGA Republicans, they want to talk about all this dumb shit, right? They want to Talk about the green M&M this and the purple M&M that. The Democrats are coming for your gas stoves. And then you got, you know, DeSantis, even though people don't use gas stoves in Florida. I'm, I'm going to put a, a tax exemptions on gas stoves. They're trying to take away your stoves. You know, just appealing to utter stupidity and perpetuating it. The exact opposite of what leadership should be about. I mean, you got Democrats focused on, and this is the thing, like if, if, if even with all of, even with all of those accomplishments that I mentioned, if Biden were to post okay, one QAnon tweet and it turned out that he really sent it, 
you know, or, or any Democratic leader, you know, sent one QAnon tweet, even with all of those accomplishments that I just listed. I, I could go on and on and on, talk about lowering prescription drug prices, talking about uh, making education more accessible and affordable, um, lowering the cost of insulin. I mean, I, I, I could go on and on for days here, but one tweet that praised QAnon or that did a QAnon mean I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm saying I don't support that crazy stuff. And on the MAGA Republican side, every single day, Trump posts QAnon posts. This is actually a death cult. I mean, the, all, the whole MAGA movement is a death cult. But the large media networks present that as a legitimate political party. That's why I'm happy we're changing that dynamic here. And, you know, when we're going to talk about the State of the Union tonight, we're going to broadcast that live here on the Midas Touch Network. We have to push back against that insanity, those lies, the, the, the dangerous fascism meets idiocracy. It's like a unique strand, Cohen, because, you know, I think the one positive thing, frankly, is that Trump was too big of an idiot to ultimately implement his fascist designs. But each and every day, they're still working to achieve that. And that's why we, that's why what we're doing here, the community here, why we need people to subscribe here, why we need people to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your audio podcast, search Political Beatdown, subscribe to Cohen's other podcast, Mea Culpa, Subscribe to all of the Midas Touch Network podcasts. We have to build this community. It, it is existential. But you, you know say? something, Ben? One of the bigger problems that we have here is, yes, I will acknowledge, and you are correct, that Trump is an idiot. He's as dumb as they come. However, what happens when the next Donald Trump surfaces? Let's just call him Ron DeSantis, right? Um, and I say DeSantis because of his the way that he wanted to handle COVID in the state of Florida. But putting all of that aside, Ron DeSantis is not stupid. Ron DeSantis is actually an incredibly bright man who is a Donald Trump 2.0. That's the big problem that we all have to contend with. What Trumpism exists, and it is not going away anytime soon. So we have to be concerned with the next Donald Trump 2.0, the guy who's smarter, slicker, um, and better funded than Donald will be, because right now, my understanding is all of the big GOP donors have all walked away from him in search for somebody else. And that's, that's one of the things, again, that we talk about. It's why facts matter. No more innuendo, facts, no more opinions, no more alternative facts, only pure facts in terms of what's wrong, what needs to be fixed, and what we collectively can do to fix it. Cohen, I couldn't agree more with you. What are you uh, looking to hear on tonight's State of the Union? You know, obviously, Joe Biden needs the whole Democratic Party. And, you know, I don't want to be, you know, critical of the DNC here. But one of the biggest problems that Democrats have had for many, many years now, I mean, many, many years, is the fact that the messaging is really bad, especially in comparison to the Republicans regardless of whether it's predicated on lies or not. The Democrats have to get the better messaging out. If you ask people, look at, look at what's happening right now. 
Statistically, Joe Biden has had the greatest job creation since 1969. On top of that, you saw the extrication of the United States from Afghanistan. On top of that, you've seen the price of gasoline drop and drop drastically. You've seen the economy start to make a rebound. You've seen the passage of the infrastructure bill. The man has accomplished quite a bit. Now, if you compare his accomplishments to the most recent poll that just came out, his unfavorables are incredibly high. They're higher than clearly what they should be. And why is that? Because again, the Republican narrative is so strong and they use the media so well in terms of promoting this misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, where even Democrats are now saying that Joe Biden hasn't accomplished enough in his first two years. And so I believe tonight we're going to see Joe Biden spend an inordinate amount of time talking about his accomplishments and talking about unity and what needs to be done so that we're not in the way we were, for example, in the Civil War, except now it's not black versus white. It's now Republican versus Democrat or Democrat versus Republican. And I think he really needs to hammer home the accomplishments. And I hate to say it, something that you don't see ever happen. I believe you have to use visuals. And the reason I say that is because most Americans, they don't, they don't pay attention enough to just what's being said. They need, they need these aids, these tools in order to show them. And I think some very simple uh, tools in order to demonstrate how well the economy is doing right now, uh, how gas prices have gone down, how you know job numbers have gone up. Now you can also get a bunch of analysts that have come in afterwards and say that you know having this low unemployment is not good for the economy because what it does is it's going to cause uh, the need for additional interest rate hikes and it's not going to put an end to inflation. Blah, blah, blah. Because these guys know what they're talking about. These are the same fucking assholes that if you go ahead, you look at your 401k, they're down 40%. So before we listen to them and their stupidity, they're basically only in it for themselves. And this is another problem that America is now facing. We need to be about America. We need to be about each other. And it's why, again, I believe unity is so important in Joe Biden's speech talking about how he's trying to meet with you know, um, Mitch McConnell, how he's trying to meet with the Jim Jordans and the Gang of Eight and so on, how he's trying to meet with everybody so that they can do their job. And one of the things we all need to again do is we need to hammer into the minds of our representatives that we don't work for them, they work for us. And until they start to do that, that we're not going to support them any longer and just wait till the next election cycle when we're going to vote you out. And I don't care who's running against you because you're not acting for the benefit of your constituents. Now, again, I don't say that to, uh, to all of them. I'm talking to the, about the ones that we all know that legitimately need to go. State of the Union starts this evening. At uh, 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific, the pre-coverage begins here on the Midas Touch Network at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific. We will see you then. 
Cohen, what a great episode of The Political Beatdown. Everybody, make sure you don't just subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe on audio now as well and leave a review on the audio. Um, this is available both on video and audio. So please make sure you check out both and make sure you subscribe on audio. Leave those five-star reviews on audio. It helps with the algorithm there as well that you subscribe on audio. So that's the favor that I asked you. Check out Cohen's new book, Revenge, wherever books are sold. Go to revenge-thebook.com and check it out there, or you can search wherever books are sold. You can check out our Patreon site at patreon.com slash Midas Touch, patreon.com slash Midas Touch. We've got a lot of exclusive content there. But most importantly, it helps grow this independent media platform. That's patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Check out the new series that I executive produced with Colin Kaepernick out right now on Hulu. It's called Killing County. It's a true crime docuseries. It focuses on what took place in Bakersfield, which just so happens to be the district represented by Kevin McCarthy. It has the highest crime rate, highest homicide rate, highest policed shooting death rate in all of the United States, or it's at least among the highest. It's Kevin McCarthy's, uh, one of his secrets. So make sure you check it out. It's told through a true crime lens and discover the corruption, crime, and cover-ups that take place in McCarthy's district, Killing County. Thank you all for supporting that. And also check out store.midastouch.com for the best uh, gear, uh, unapologetically pro-democracy gear at store.midastouch.com. You can get the Mea Culpa podcast official shirt the Mar-a-Lago or the Mar-a-Lardo uh, facility, correctional facility shirt that Cohen from time to time, I see you wearing it in Manhattan. And uh, I love that store.midastouch.com is where you could find that shirt. Cohen, final words before we go. Final words, stay tuned. We will be back Thursday for the next one where I will be able to give you some more inside information on the district attorney's case, how it's proceeding. Won't be able to share with you the exact details, but believe me, you will know before everybody else. So I wish everybody a wonderful day. Watch watch the State of the Union tonight. Make sure that you check out um, Midas's Patreon, Revenge, Mea Culpa, all of the Midas Touch uh, properties that are there. And again, please tell your friends, let's grow this thing to a million people on at the same time. What power that would give us to effectuate the change that we all want and this country desperately needs. This is the political beatdown. Ben Micellis, Michael Cohen. Booyah. Until next time, shout out to the Midas Mighty. <laughs>